I think most people in Zimbabwe just uh, have this fear of wild animals because people associate an elephant with being trampled or they associate a lion with being attacked and like devoured. But it does not always happen that way and it rarely happens that way. So we need to change that attitude that people have towards these wild animals. Wildlife is often frightening, and in particular where it's numerous, large, and framed by legends. But not for more angels. This little girl who grew up only a few kilometers from Wange National Park, but didn't have the chance to leave the wild as a child. Eventually, she became a renowned scientist, passionate about lions. Africa contributes to only 1% of the world's scientific output. And of the African scientists, less than 30% are women. One of those is more angels. How did she get there? It all began when she entered for the first time in a wildlife area. It was a time during the rain season. Everything was green, like there was lots of green. The grass was tall. And I remember going through the gates of the wildlife area, just being in the bush. And I remember seeing the first animals I saw were impalas. So they were just like running and then they crossed the road and went to the other side of the road. And I remember just being in awe of that and just like feeling this joy and happiness and just feeling something that I had never felt before. I felt this strong connection to the place and the atmosphere. And there was just a tranquility and a peace. So it was one of the moments that really made me realize that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And these are the places that I want to spend my time in. And uh, from that moment, like every time I would go to the bush, I would get that same feeling and I, I can't even describe how happy that makes me just being in the world and being surrounded by these beautiful wildlife species. <laughs> this episode is about deep connections, an attitude, change of attitude. It's about a young woman who wanted to be a psychologist and fell in love with a bush. It's about Zimbabwe, a country that led the way into innovative models for nature conservation management. You are listening to Wild Basil, the podcast that tells the stories of some heroes that are changing the narrative of a region. I think I only started to know about wildlife and like see how like the wild animals look like. That was when we, we had a TV which was like, I don't know, when I was maybe 10 or 11 or something like that. There are some 4 million different kinds of animals and plants in the world. 4 million different solutions to the problems of staying alive. This is the story of how a few of them came to be as they are. 
I grew up in Chiredzi. So it's a small town in Zimbabwe. It's in the low veld. I think it's mainly known for like sugar cane growing. There's also the second largest national park here in Zimbabwe, which is Gonarejo National Park. And it's uh, about 60 kilometers from Chiredzi, uh, where I grew up. But when I was younger, when I was growing up, I did not know anything about wildlife I had not seen. Even in school, we did not uh, learn much about our national parks. So my knowledge was very little in terms of what the animals looked like. For many years, animals and wildlife in Zimbabwe were a luxury that mainly white people could enjoy. The reserves and parks were for hunting and wealthy tourists. So more angels, like many of her compatriots, didn't have the chance to enjoy this natural beauty. When she had the opportunity and went into the bush, it was love at first sight. She got beaten by the famous bushbug. Around 2003, the environmental issues were starting to gain some momentum and some media attention. And during that time, there was a feeling of agency around finding ways to protect our planet. And so I wanted to also contribute to that. And uh, I felt the need for me to be a part of that, a part of finding those solutions. And I became interested in wildlife. Driven by this decision to contribute, she decided to study science and managed to do so. Not many girls where she comes from got there. I enrolled with the University of Zimbabwe where I had done my BSc. And during uh, that master's program, we started to learn about various things around ecology. And also we did a module on wildlife ecology. And that's when I started to learn about wildlife, about conservation. I remember learning about rhinos and hippos and just being in awe of, of like their, their biology, their ecology and behavior. And I reached out to people in the country to see who would take me to do that. And I ended up going to Save Valley Conservancy in the Low Veld, which was also close to my hometown. Save Valley Conservancy is on the southern eastern border of the country, close to Mozambique. And so more angels crossed into this new world to finish her studies. The first time I went into the wild in Save Valley Conservancy for my master's projects, I felt that this was something that I never experienced before in any place that I have been just being in the bush. And I remember seeing the first animals I saw were impalas, so they were just like running and then they crossed the road and went to the other side of the road. And I remember just being in awe of that and just like feeling this joy and happiness and just feeling something that I had never felt before. I felt this strong connection 
to the place and the atmosphere and there was just a tranquility and a peace and so it was one of the moments that really made me realize that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and these are the places that I want to spend my time in and uh, from that moment like every time I would go to the bush I would get that same feeling and I, I can't even describe how happy that makes me just being in the world and being surrounded by this beautiful wildlife species. <laughs> it was like a portal of sorts. Her mission was scientific and potentially dangerous. She dared accepting it with a smile. She was responsible for studying carnivores and specifically wild dogs. I remember like when we were looking for these dogs, when you hear that, then you would know that they are somewhere close and you become excited and anticipate seeing them. The adrenaline comes in and sometimes we would end up not seeing them, but we just hear them like running around and, and making that sound. <laughs> I don't know if I can imitate it, but yeah, it, it's, it's so special because it's, it's different from any other sound that you would hear. So the wild dogs are like some of the most beautiful animals out there. Their coat is beautiful. They have like spots, black and white, browns, uh, and they have this fluffy tail. Uh, and they, they are small. They are a size of like your domestic dog. Uh, and the behavior is also almost the same. Yeah, they are just so beautiful to watch. Um, I remember just feeling so connected, this special connection and just being drawn to these animals. But their poop is smelly, like they have like one of the smelliest poops out there, <laughs> especially when it's fresh. Yeah, it's, it's smelly. It's <laughs> More angels immediately felt an affinity with these dogs. They are one of the world's most endangered mammals. They have, like very few other species that we know of at least, a sophisticated and intelligent communication. They are also arguably the most successful hunting species. Their motto could be, if you want to go far and fast, go together. And they can run together, up to 70 k's per hour. That puts them on the top 10 of the fastest earth mammal. Interestingly, if you want to know, that's also as fast as a kangaroo runs. They usually hunt in, in groups, in packs, and they attack the animal while it's still running and they pull it down and start eating while it's still alive sometimes. So that's, yeah. Yeah, some people don't like them because of that, of the way they hunt. But it's very rare for them to attack people. But I've been chased by elephants, buffaloes several times in the field. <laughs> Life is about how you can handle the cards you have been given. It's about grabbing the opportunities that come up. More angels did just that. I got an opportunity to go to the UK and I joined Wildlife Conservation Research Unit, Wild Crew in Oxford. 
and did a postgraduate diploma with them. And after that, I started my DPhil in zoology. And I was studying uh, lion ecology and behavior in Wange National Park. And so my research project in Wange, as part of my PhD, was looking at lion behavior and ecology. And I was also looking at the social dynamics within lion prides. So one of the prides that I was studying was Cecil's pride. And uh, we had a collar on Cecil, a GPS collar so that we could track him and track his movements, know where he is. And I remember he was, uh, he was very popular with tourists uh, and uh, people around the park because he was, he was beautiful, he was big, with a big man. And he was also photogenic and he was just calm, like people could get close and take photographs. Even during my research, I would get close and get photographs or sit with the pride and record all the data of the interactions that he was having with the pride members. But when I would tell people that I study lions, like everyone would be like, what? (laughs) Are you not afraid of lions? Morangers wasn't scared in spite of, or maybe thanks, to all the legend that surrounds this powerful animal, the king of the bush. When I was younger, like at night, we would have all those stories, sometimes told by our older siblings or cousins. We called them Ngano in Shona. Those are stories that have been told from generation to generation. And I think we are losing that now because of all the social media and all those things. Within the African tradition, the lion represents the spirit mediums. So in that tradition, there is belief that when somebody dies who had like this uh, ancestral spirit, it can come back as a lion. Or, or they can change into a lion, like they can transform into a lion. So there are situations where sometimes when you have uh, lions causing conflict, they would come to, to a village. So there's an example of that. Uh, it happened a few years ago in this district called Urungwe. So the lions would come and then they would start to kill cattle. And then sometimes they would kill the cattle and just leave them. They would just kill them and like not eat any of the carcass. And then they would move to the next household and do the same. And then people started to have these theories that perhaps these lions were like spirit mediums. They were not like real lions. And so these communities ended up doing these traditional ceremonies, you know, to appease the spirits. And so after that ceremony, the lions just went quiet and disappeared. So, so some of these stories, like, it's true, it's something that you should believe in, or it's something that is just, like, that people just believe. But, yeah, that's one of the things that the African traditional religion believes in, that a lion can be a spirit medium. Coming back to Zimbabwe and to Wange National Park, she made her first scientific discovery. 
It's part of that little 1% of African evidence creation. Lions' pride interactions are very similar to human ones. But however much we try to separate science and the imaginary, or traditions and modernity, legends shape our lives. And in the case of more angels, maybe even the afterlife. I'll probably come back as a lion, but I think I'll be like a beautiful lion, a gentle lion. <laughs> Understanding lions behaving doesn't make it easier to live close to them. If you have lions or elephants in your backyard, you are probably going to freak out. I think most people here in Zimbabwe like are afraid of, of wild animals, even if they have not encountered them before, but just from the stories, from things that they hear about these animals, they just uh, have this fear of the animals because people associate an elephant with being trampled or they associate a lion with being attacked and like devoured by the lion, but it does not always happen that way. And it rarely happens that way. So we need to change that attitude that people have towards these wild animals. The future of conservation in an Africa with 2.5 billion people lies greatly in finding a positive human-wildlife cohabitation model. No one has yet found a solution. But one thing is certain. Ownership of local population is part of it. Zimbabwe was a pioneer in creating the first community conservancies in the continent and globally. But the model, instead of flourishing, dried out. Today, there are more people in Zimbabwe that don't know the wilderness treasure than the other way around. There was a quiz that we gave these kids and we asked about animals that are found in Zimbabwe. And surprisingly, like some of the children were listing tiger as one of the species that are found in Zimbabwe. <laughs> and so we, we are also mentoring these school kids that want to take up a career in conservation because there is a lot of interest that is emanating from these conservation education programs that we are, we are holding in schools. So it's something that also I took from my childhood to better equip and give knowledge to the young kids and the young adults here in Zimbabwe. This shows how ownership is more than legal frameworks. Zimbabwe started over half a century ago, looking at devolving land rights to its people. The 1941 Natural Resource Act and the conservation movement that followed were in many aspects precursors. Then, in 1980, the Campfire Programme was created to ensure that communities could exploit their natural resources on a sustainable basis for their own benefits. In the first decade, it was a success. Families living in campfire areas increase their income between 15 to 25%. And wildlife prospered. The mother went across borders and inspired other countries. But in Zimbabwe, it stalled, as the elite captured the revenues of the program. Today, there is still a gap between Zimbabwean wilderness and the majority of its people.
And then I started my organization called Wildlife Conservation Action. The motivation behind forming my organization was that I felt that uh, there was a, a gap between conservation and communities. With my organization, I wanted to build the capacity of these communities so that they could uh, be involved in conservation efforts, be at the forefront of protecting uh, wildlife and also be able to coexist with wildlife in the same space because where you find wildlife you also find people living next to that wildlife area and because in most areas there are no fences so there is lots of interactions between humans and wildlife and it often ends up in conflict. As a scientist more angels values knowledge. This passion is her driving force and she wants to share it. I also wanted to create opportunities for young Black Zimbabweans to be involved in conservation and to provide them with the training that they need and the skills that they need in their conservation careers because I felt like it was something that was not available. So I wanted also to be able to provide that and also inspire the next generation of conservation leaders And uh, it was something that I had not got when I was young. So I also wanted to provide that opportunity for school children to be able to interact with nature and develop that connection and passion while they were young. Knowledge is also, in her view, a way to reduce this gap between conservation and communities and to create ownership. So she designed an education program to bring conservation studies to schools and to change the perception of the sector in her country. So it's one of the things that also inspired me with my organization to have these conservation education programs within schools. It's something that we also have to work on and to change that attitude from negative to positive. So that's one side of how our history and the creation of these national parks contributed to how people interact with them and interact with wildlife areas. And the other thing that we have experienced over the years is that conservation or wildlife conservation or nature conservation has always been seen as a white man career or or something that only white people enjoy doing. And so that also sort of like put some barriers in the black society to explore uh, that side of nature and to also get an opportunity to interact with wildlife and be in nature because they felt that it was not for them. It was not something that they uh, were supposed to, to do or be involved in. We are also working to break all those barriers as well. And 
make conservation something that anyone in the country can be involved in and can do, can participate and can contribute towards. That has also been something that has been evolving over the years and us just trying to move away from seeing conservation that way to a new way where we have the participation of local communities and citizens. Morangos is not only a Zimbabwean scientist, she's a woman. And remember, of those too few African scientists, only 30% are women. Being a woman in conservation, it's a challenge. Like It has always been a challenge for me since I got into this career. And I think one of the things that really affected me was... Like it affected my relationships because I was away most of the time because you have to be in the field. And if you are a woman, then society doesn't expect you to be away from your home for for long periods. Uh, but a man can do that. They can go and work somewhere and come back to the family, spend a few days and go. Uh, so that also affected... Uh, like my marriage, and also just my interactions with other colleagues, other male colleagues, and even the female colleagues, like because people are used to have the males uh, as leaders and people making the decisions. So when you make a decision as a female, like the, the males and even the other females, like sometimes resist that because they don't expect that to come from you. And uh, I remember this time when I was in the field. In the field, it was usually just myself uh, as a lady and then everyone else would be the rangers and my, my field team. They were all males, so I would be like the only woman in the team. And then so there was this one time we would have like breakfast in the, in the bush because we would leave the camp early and then go around. So it was my first time working with one of these rangers and we were having uh, breakfast in the, in the bush. So we had our plates, we had our bread. And so we are going to have like lunch in the, in the field. And so he, he said to me, uh, can you get the plates and put the food for everyone and then <laughs> distribute to everyone? And I'm like, why should I do that? <laughs> you know how to like deal with food stuff. And, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to put food for myself. Everyone who is going to save themselves. It's not my job to look after people here. So like perception that people have towards like women or the role of women that is also one of the challenges where, where people see you just as a woman and expect you to play that role. But it will be a work set up, so you can't expect me to like play the role of your mother or your wife when we are at work. <laughs> I think it's just being like confident and being... Um, like accept that you are different from them, but you are as strong as you are and you can be independent and you can make your own decisions and you can say no if you need to say no. Yeah, they can just pick up if something is not going well uh, or according to, to what they are comfortable with. 
they should just be able to uh, and be free to speak up. So I'm also grateful for the opportunity that I've gotten to be that kind of person for the young girls to be an inspiration for them and for them to see that they can be whoever they want to be. They can achieve their dreams. They they can lead. They can be an inspiration to other people as well. So So I'm grateful for being able to play that role. Wild Basil, a podcast produced by Mover. Written by Luiz Guimarães Scherer Navarro and Martin Kennan. Music by Carson Mucavelli. Historical advisor, Stephanie Erdang. Scientific advisor, Ghislain Rib. Recording. Carson Studio Maputo, directed by Martin Kennan. Funded by AFD. Find us on movamoz.co.mz.